Hello everyone, this is Ari in the Air, welcome back to the podcast, stoked you're here. As I'm sure you've noticed on this podcast, the format of these talks is not really interview. I am not trying to squeeze my guests into a certain shape so that I can extract what is in their heads, their knowledge, their perspective, and distill it to you. Sometimes... There's something that they know that I definitely want to talk about, that I definitely want to touch on, that I definitely want to hear deeper thoughts on. But in general, my intention with these talks is to jam. It's to converse. It's to dialogue. It's to come into relationship with the person and to create something that we wouldn't have created on our own. And so they're merely conversations. And today is no different. Today I have a guest. His name is Jared Janes. Jared is a Buddhist and a podcaster. He's a marketer. He's kind of a Swiss army knife of a person. And he produces the Jim Rett Show. You've heard Jim Rett on this, ep- on this podcast a number of times. And we talk a little bit about that. We talk about the mimetic mediation that he does at the stoa um mimetic mediation that's essentially getting mimetic tribes basically different groups who have ideologies to talk to one another mediate between their mimetic tribes very interesting stuff we cover a ton of different a ton of ground in this uh, episode, and I think you're really going to enjoy it. Jared's a very insightful and thoughtful person, and I really appreciate his time on this podcast. He'll definitely be back on here. So, if you like this show, consider donating to support it. That's paypal.me slash air. And do all the subscribey-likey algorithm stuff. I thank you for helping me wrestle the robot. So, without further ado, here's a little bit of music and my talk with Mr. Jared Janes.
So yeah, I think it's funny that you say uh, that you say it like that. That people are taking things as life and death, and I might have a some experience in what is actually life and death. <laughs> and yesterday I wrote a journal entry that basically there's been a number of times in my career that I have narrowly escaped death. Yeah. And I've never been so afraid of dying as I am now with like the culture war and the cancel culture and everyone being so on edge. Like I've never felt it like I am right now. Yeah, yeah. I actually, that was the uh, one of the ones that I, I read. I, sk- I skimmed through a few of them, but I wanted to see what was most current. So I, I read that, uh, that entry. Um, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's an interesting, it's a weird time. Um, and uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I guess I haven't had a ton of the, the, the cancel anxiety, uh, but, but I don't really have much of an audience. So uh, a very niche niche group of people that are listening to me so um yeah i guess it is what it is (laughs) yeah it's funny i don't know if anyone listens to me but i still experience that you know like and i think you know there's this thing that i was kind of writing about today that i'm kind of calling like worldview whiplash where as i read sacred economics by charles eisenstein it just gives me um you know there there's always been this like existential angst Mm -hmm. that for a long time I've just wrote it off as, yeah, you have existential angst because you have to fucking eat to survive. Don't eat and die. Like there is a reality to the necessity of justifying your own existence in a way or like, or like perpetuating your own existence. Mm. But it is, is a bit scarier and a bit darker you know i used to think of that as like some kind of game that was like almost fun to play it was like yeah like this is the game you got to play the game like Mm. and now it's like oh my god this is a really fucking scary dark oppressive game that is like the reality that i have to justify my own existence that the reality that society at large that humanity at large is not on my side and rather the opposite Mm. is something that is shaking the foundations of my mental health in ways I could never have predicted. Mm. And, and when I say worldview whiplash, I mean like this shit has happened in three months, you know, Uh, especially Mm. just being in this space. Like I've kind of been on the, I've been talking with the tip of the spear of the meta crisis, the meaning crisis, the Vervakis and the Steins and the Limburgs and, mm-hmm. and it's like really, really fun. But the moment I actually recognize the meta crisis between my ears, it's not as fun, <laughs> you know, to like externalize and be like, you guys, the fucking world is fucked and you guys are idiots. I can't believe you've been per- perpetuating this system for so long. I've told you so. I read in the fed by Ron Paul. <laughs> I know all this stuff. And then I'm like, yeah. oh shit, my relationships are breaking down. Literally, like my friendships, my I was just on a call with Greg Enriquez, psychologist from James Madison. And mm, I love Greg. Yeah, I just uh I was telling Jim I I'd lost faith in most of the, the psychological 
uh, field until I, I listened to that his interview with him, and I was like, oh, okay, there's it, maybe some hope still. <laughs> there's so much hope, and that's actually how the episode ended with hope. And yeah, I love Greg as well. And we're talking about this feeling that I've had recently that is for so long. I'm I'm like I'm the middle of three boys. Mm-hmm. I I have been punched and have punched so many un- uncountable amount of times. <laughs> um, and there's a nature of my relationships that is challenging, that is adversarial, that is, uh, you know, it, it has a playful nature, but it's like, it's challenging. It's like one person is the sword, the other person is the stone and we're sharpening each other. Mm-hmm. And now it feels like I've kind of, shifted in my the paradigm i'm in is like the world is trying to sharpen me so much it's so much challenge that like i have no room for challenge in my relationships like any a drop of challenge that i feel in my relationship it feels like unsafety it feels like attack it feels like betrayal Mm -hmm. yeah yeah well and the funny thing too is you know the the there's there's a slightly different um you know like you said if you've been if you've been close to death personally um you know it's it's like a an acquaintance with your own uh impermanence um uh, but i think a largely the and uh uh and and the the um yeah be, being a a participant in the course of war uh and talking about things that are uncomfortable um are all kind of centered around the impermanence of, of, uh, the society of, of, of the culture itself. Um, and so it's like a whole different existential, uh, space, but yeah, it's still processed in such a, a similar emotional way. Um, yeah, it's, it's a, it's a weird, weird time. That's for sure. It really is. <laughs> it really is. And it's like, I use my own anecdotes, my own experience that are the things that I'm feeling, to glean more understanding for the world at large. Um, and so I imagine that the, you know, the feeling of relational breakdown, that the nature of needs that I have that are being met for my friendships are vastly changing faster than my relationships can change. Mm. You know, like, yeah. Uh, puts it, it it's um there's some kind of bottleneck here like some kind of growth you know some some place in cairo some transformation that's undergoing that like there's so much shit that's just naturally slower just my own psyche my own identity those things take time to change and when it so rapidly like whiplashes and like it takes time for these things to catch up. It takes time for my relationships to change. It takes time for me to embody the kinds of things that I need to have mirrored back to me in relation. There's like so much that is, is really like, there's a lot of pressure. You know, I told Zach Stein the other day that my, I felt like the world was so big and my head was so small, but I had never, I had felt that before, but I had never felt such pressure to cram the understanding of the world into my little head. And I was like, Oh Oh, God, there's like pressure on my ears Mm, to like get get this in there. 
Yeah, yeah, it's it's interesting. I, I think <clears throat> the, the the weird thing is like my kind of disposition or uh, orientation of of what I have to offer to the sense making and kind of cultural apparatus uh, usually leads me to like very kind of like sub ideological uh, processings. So I think it it kind of uh, it allows me to speak uh, without having to tread much of the the controversial territory, um, mm-hmm. and especially because you know even if I have personal thoughts about you know some of the the the, the topics and and um, um, policies that are being thrown around uh, very militantly at the, at this moment, um, I, I actually really don't want to spread my ideology and, and rather uh, just spread, spread the, the kind of the processing, the underlying processing that allowed me to arrive at it in a more mm-hmm. wholesome way mm-hmm. uh, instead of through some sort of oppressive kind of authoritarian uh, stance. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so yeah, I, I, I don't feel quite, yeah, maybe that's partially why the, the cancel uh, uh, anxiety isn't, isn't as, isn't with me as much. Um, because I think a lot of people will see me as like kind of slippery, uh, you know, some of the directly, uh, directly political people I have conversations with and they're like, Oh, well, you're just apolitical. I'm like, no, no, I vote. I have opinions. Uh, I just don't think that, uh, uh I, 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 I don't think collective sense-making works by me, uh, by, by our, our, you know, extremely, uh, uh, abstracted, very personal perspectives uh, mm-hmm. battling. It's it's like more of like how 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 wholesome uh, can we create? How wholesome of an environment can we create personally and interpersonally uh, for us to arrive at good thinking? Uh, and and if it's good, it means that it's going to be drastically different, right? <clears throat> yeah, from what is proven to be bad over and over. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no I have no very little authoritarian. Uh, <laughs> in, in uh, moments or or, influ- or uh, inclinations, I suppose. Yeah. Every once in a while, maybe I'll be like, "Ah, this is bullshit," but who knows? <laughs> yeah. Um, what brings up for me there is, you know, the difference between identifying with the product of your cognition of like your actual beliefs, as opposed to the process of your cognition, just mm-hmm. act of thinking, the act of the pleasure of doubt, the um, dancing with the liminal, the questioning, the conversing, the discourse, the dialogue. Mm -hmm. I think that for a long time, myself included, I was a bit fixated on the object, on the outcome. Mm -hmm. And um, that ends up, turning into something like a protest as opposed to a dance. Yeah. Yeah. I like that a lot. Yeah. I think, I think we all have to, as thinkers, I think everybody has to go through that process uh, in the sense of, you know, finding, finding some tribes and and signing up and being a zealot for a little while and and (laughs) then having your existential crisis of seeing the limitations and entertaining other ideas uh, while still kind of, you know, we never, completely pull ourselves out of the the initial uh zealotry that we we adopted but um <laughs> you know. zealotry 
<laughs> I like that. I want to get back. I, I want to hear you, your thoughts on wholesomeness because I think that this is a, this is something that I think I'm, I, I might be getting old. <laughs> yeah. I might be getting old because I'm like, ooh, wholesome. Yeah. Ooh, give me wholesome. I was like, holy shit. Where, where did I pick up wholesome? But like, <laughs> but you know, I hear like Jordan Hall talking about these kind of things. Like if we're really going to design a society, like what is good, like is probably wholesome, quiet, non-toxic, um, organic, nourishing, nurturing. Mm. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that those are, I, I think a lot of those are kind of, <clears throat> those characteristics are kind of like good in, uh, indicators that, that it is wholesome. Uh, but wholesomeness in, in its deepest sense, I, I, I really see is kind of what you were pointing to before of, of how can we operate in a way that allows for, um, you know, I, I use liminality uh, or, you know, I also like, you know, kind of openness or nebulosity uh, to, to be in dialogue and in sync with uh, the, the patterned, the, 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 uh, the formed, the, the, the distinct qualities of our, our experience as well. Um, and if, if we're resistant uh, to one of them or uh, overly attached to one of them, uh, then the dance doesn't happen. You know, it's like being resistant or being attached is the equivalent of thinking about dancing. You know, mm-hmm. like you, you just have to let it happen. Um, and so that's, uh, and so wholesome being whole meaning, including both of these, these kind of uh, dimensions of our experience um, and, and not having a preference for, for either of them. Um, and if you're looking at it in like a tantric sense, uh, then and it's not only do you not have a preference, but you have a deep engagement and re- reverence and, and kind of love for them as well. Um, so, yeah, but, and sometimes maybe it starts out as having to kind of detach first uh, and, and get, a, get, get a bit of a, a broader perspective on things. But, to, but yeah, the, the, the end goal is to kind of allow for passionate engagement with, with both of those elements of your experience. Hmm. That's interesting. <laughs> There's like some kind of delineation I was, I was there. Listening to, uh, yeah, go ahead. I was listening to a Weinstein, uh, uh, Eric Weinstein uh, episode this morning, and they're just, I think they're, they mentioned something about, you know, what's, what, what, what's our problem right now with the sense-making space, the gated narrative, institutional narrative, and stuff like that. Uh, and for some reason, the, the phrase, I was like, I, I want to I make uh, make America uncertain again. <laughs> mm. <laughs> that's that, that. That's what seems to be the biggest uh, component here. It's like everybody's so positive of, of what needs to be done, uh, mm. it, which is the exact thing that will prevent us from doing anything. <laughs> mm. Yeah, I think that's really insightful. And yesterday, after having a long conversation, after having a long and painful conversation with my best friend, he says, "Ari, I don't know what to do." I said, "Yep, I got a." I have to become so much more comfortable with that. Mm-hmm. Um, it was almost a moment in conversation of like, I don't know what to do. Like, I want to tell you what to do here. And I just, yeah, it was like obvious that, yeah, I think that knowing what to do is kind of the problem. Like this suffering by ambiguity is kind of like, 
Uh, I don't know. It's a tough mm. one. Yeah, yeah, it is. It's, it's a strange. You know, it's a funny thing too. Uh, when I when this whole you know kind of COVID started and then the protests and everything like that, I you know almost every conversation I have with people. Um, they're always, you know, how, how, how's it going? Uh, and never, oh, terrible. You know, this is, this is terrible. Everything's falling apart. I don't know. You know, and, and, and then it always comes to like, I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know. You know. I don't know what I'm supposed to do. I don't know. You know, it's, it's always this, you know, all of these, these, these things that we could count on, uh, you know, all of these, these systems and, and, uh, and norms, um, are suddenly up in the air. Um, and that causes like a ton of, Kind of problems and, and like you said the immediate thing is to then figure out where we can find some ground again um and for when i first started having those conversations a lot of them i'd, I'd always kind of feel inclined to vein my discomfort as well um but then i kind of realized it's like actually it's not really true like it was more like welcome to my world people like <laughs> i have no fucking idea what's going on you know like i've been swimming in the liminal for uh, the past few years. And so it's like, this, my, my norm has been, you know, not knowing what's two, two feet in front of me. Um, and it's, uh, it, it, you know, it, acclimating to that, that way of living though is, is something that takes a lot of time and, 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 you know, practice to, to be able to, to put yourself in a situation where you can be there. Um, how have yeah. you done that? Yeah. What? I mean, I guess, um, well, like we said, it kind of started with the more ideological, philosophical kind of uh, uh, orientation of exploring different reality tunnels and ideologies and slowly kind of realizing that none of them were, were total and none of them were uh, uh, going to be, com- and yet some of, each of them had some truth into all of them. Uh, each, each of them had truth in them. Uh, none of them were completely true and they were all in conflict. Right? And that that intellectual understanding just left me uncomfortable and kind of in that nihilistic, oh shit, like everything's meaningless type thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but that, that's when I started, my, my predominant focus started moving into more spiritual practices um, and, and really just learning how to be acquainted with, you know, like what, what, is, what is the sensations and, and felt sense of uncertainty, nebulosity, emptiness uh you know and and if you can be okay with it like then all of a sudden all the things that seemed separate and solid they're they're also you know everything kind of feels similar at that moment um and and once that started taking off then there was this kind of like overall okayness with with the the ambiguity and the unknowingness um and and that just kind of continues to build and um yeah, yeah, I guess. I don't know. It just kind of, a, I guess the, the best way to sum it up is just kind of a radical humility of being like, oh my God, I know fucking nothing, you know, mm. and I can't know anything. <laughs> mm. um, so, so yeah, and that, that speaks to, you know, like I was saying, like most of the time, if I'm talking about anything passionately, I'm just talking about the process of being okay with our experience um, and not really interested in what the outcome is as much. Um, and and I and then ironically not being interested in the outcome uh, or being uh, oriented to a very specific direction uh, usually results in having these positive characteristics arise. You know, I have become far more happy. I've become far more engaged in my relationships. I've been uh, more e- easier to uh, it's easier for me to to understand other reality tunnels and not be so resistant to them. And 
uh, including, you know, and, and like listen to my own ideas as they come up and see them as just no more real than anything that anybody else is saying. You know, it's just like just another another dumb human with their opinions, uh, you know, and if, if I factor them all together, then maybe something interesting comes together. But I don't know if I'm prizing my perspective that much more than anyone else. Hmm. What do those practices look like <laughs> where you're curating that? Because I mean, one way that we do it is just by being in open conversation where we can hear each other and we can presence each other's thoughts and, and kind of like in inquiry, we admit unknowingness and we look for some kind of um, journey where we're not actually yeah. fixed to finding it, but we're actually just exploring, playing, dancing with ideas. What is these, what are the other practices that you're talking about? <clears throat> yeah, yeah. Well, uh, I think that these are all kind of, uh, yeah, we can do a lot of stuff to make us kind of, you know, expose yourself to a bunch of different perspectives, talk to a bunch of different people, always try and have a compassionate disposition toward others and remember that they're humans as well. Like, those are all good ways of, of allowing for discourse to be somewhat generative in most situations. Um, but I think... At, the, at its core, though, um, we'll always prize our own perspective uh, more than others, and it's for the simple reason that we own it. Um, and so really, I think the, uh, you know, the key thing is, is finding ways of, of pulling, you know, uh, uh, pulling that illusion of ownership away, where it's like, mm -hmm. well, if, if there's nobody, like uh, one of my tweets uh, a couple months ago that I liked a lot was like, if an ideology arises and nobody's there to own it, like it won't stay longer than it's needed, you know, cause there's nobody to, to hold on to it. Mm. Um, so yeah, I, I really think it comes down to, you know, the, the, the fundamental spiritual thing of, of, of separateness and, and ownership and individuality uh, as being kind of the, the, the core, the, the, the foundation of real spiritual work uh, starts there. I think, I, I think that's when real spiritual work starts in the sense usually all of our previous until we've kind of glimpsed the the emptiness of, of self um all of the previous motivation is pretty self-centered um and there's nothing wrong with that that's just that's the way we always have to start um but but yeah once we uh once practice is not no longer about ourselves then it's real spiritual practice i think hmm. go on can you say <laughs> more about that uh <clears throat> what's yeah, that like what's that where's that line what's that line look like what's that line look like in meditation when does that become yeah yeah well there's kind of a you know, very specifically you could just say um well there's uh, so so in, in in buddhist terms uh specifically uh, sutra oriented buddhism which is kind of the renunciative version of it um, I think this is, is usually pointed to as called stream entry. Uh, and that's just having a visceral embodied experience of the false, uh, uh, constructed nature of, the, of, of what we perceive to be our separate self. Um, and it can't be an intellectual understanding. It has to be like a, you know, you know, it just as much as gravity, right? It's like deep in your bones. Oh, this is false. Um, and, and stream entry doesn't mean that that sense doesn't go away. It can usually the, 
uh, the, the, the experience of stream entry, it presents in a million different ways. Um, and in that moment, that glimpsing, it might not be, op it kind of stops operating, I think. Um, and maybe there's some distinctions here. I'm, I'm not a scholar. Um, but, um, but that doesn't mean that doesn't boot back up. Uh, but the difference is that after it boots back up, uh, we always kind of know that it's not really true. You know, it's, it's, just, it's like an embodied understanding of like, oh, yeah, well, I guess I do feel separate, um, but I know that's not really true <laughs> in, in the way that I knew it before. Um, but then from a, a more broad perspective and kind of maybe a little bit more poetic, which I like a lot, um, I think she, maybe it was Adi Ashanti. I can't remember which one said it, but they said there's like this qualitative difference uh, in a spiritual path where uh, there's a shift between um, in, in, in the early phase of your, your practice, it feels like you're pursuing something um, and you're, you're kind of going after something, you're going to find it. Uh, and then eventually the shift happens. And I think that this is maybe somewhere around stream entry and maybe it could happen a little bit before or a little bit after. I, I'm, I'm sure there's a lot of a wiggle room here uh, where it no longer feels like you're seeking something. It feels like something seeking you. Um, so, so that might be what I'm saying in the sense of like, what does it mean for uh, you to not be the center of your, your spiritual journey uh, is, is when you feel like you're being pursued rather than pursuing. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Yeah, I don't think I I feel like in myself I can very much identify with the feeling of sitting in meditation for me that I'm pursuing something that I'm trying mm -hmm. to I'm trying to curate a practice that right now it feels like I'm curating a practice to try to keep myself sane. Ooh to keep the metabolism of emotions and everything going. Yeah. Um. Yeah. I mean, there's a bunch of different kind of motivations that we can, that we sit with or kind of intentions, I think is the key thing. That's the other thing that I think, um, of, understanding and navigating the spiritual path is like understanding our intentions. Uh, and the scary thing is that usually we have no fucking idea what our intentions are. <laughs> um, and then eventually we realize that most of our intentions are pretty selfish. Um, and, uh, and that can be pretty, uh, you know, that's a, that's a and, and that, that usually happens post, well, it happens before stream entry. Stream entry can kind of like expose that. Um, but a lot of times after stream entry, people will similarly, uh, you know, for a little while feel like, oh, I got it. It's all figured out now. I got it all. It makes all sense. You know, I see through the illusion of self. Uh, and then sometime later, if, they're, if you're lucky enough and you continue to investigate your own experience, uh, then you realize like, oh my God, there's all this programming and habitual behavior that's still operating from uh -huh. the intention of the self. Um, and, and, and my, uh, you know, from the intention and the assumption that I'm separate. <clears throat> And my satisfaction can be found uh, outside of me. Um, but anyways, backing up a bit, um, I think uh, starting practice is usually, yeah, it's, it's either uh, the, the intentions, the core intentions that I usually see are either A, kind of therapeutic, uh, which I think you're speaking to, right, is kind of maintaining the vehicle, uh, mental, physical vehicle, so that it, that it operates function and functions properly. Mm -hmm. um, and sometimes that can be more of a, 
you know, a healing thing where you're like, oh my God, I have so much, there's so much wrong with me. I need to be, you know, it's like I'm completely overwhelmed and, and I just need to, to, to need to be okay. Uh, or it can be an optimization thing too. Some people are like, you know, I need to be the, the most human, the most powerful human ever. And that was definitely my primary first intention for practice was becoming the, the Ubermensch. <laughs> uh-huh. uh, and, uh, and then there's a, or, uh, person uh, or intention that I think can come up, which is is more of a truth orientation of just, I just want to know what's true. Um, that's probably the most wholesome, uh, but it's also probably the most rare. Uh, and it's never it's never all one or the other. It's always a combination uh, in some, in some sense. Um, and yeah, each of them can lead to the uh, the same outcome. But the, the thing about the truth one is that it it can continue to be a motivation after the practice is no longer about you. Whereas the other ones, you know, if I want to heal myself or I want to make myself uh, amazing, um, that disappears when we see that there's no one to make amazing or heal. <laughs> mm. In some, in, in an ultimate sense, yeah, relatively, obviously. It's a, it's a real thing. And that's why psychology and, and um, just kind of, and since everybody knows that, that spiritual practice is really good for us uh, and, and for our bodies and minds. Yeah, it's interesting because Jim Rutt yesterday talked about how, no, 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 I, I, can, I can show you how you're separate. I can show you the line at which you are, you know, the cells that are you and the cells that aren't you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you're like, yep, I've heard this. <laughs> You've heard this <laughs> Jim Rutt. Oh, yeah. Oh, he's the John Madden of Game B. You knew that, right? That I produced Jim's yeah. show? Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah, this is a, a funny, funny thing that I always, I, I have to kind of grin at. Uh, there was one guest, I can't remember who it was, when Jim was, was say, talking about his theory of, of the self, uh, of the individuals, individuated self. Um, and so, so there's, there's kind of two ways of, of attacking this, this topic, I think. Um, well, there maybe maybe three. I'll, I'll use Jim's own words. Uh, I would say what what he's doing is he's coarse graining, right? It's a, a, a crude approximation uh, that can be quite useful and quite valuable. Um, so, you know, Jim's theory of, of what a self is, I think, could be uh, a very good heuristic for for rational scientific investigation uh, if we needed to have have a, a strict uh, a line of delineation between the self and other. Um, but you could even take his logic and expand it a little bit. And one of his guests did this. I remember because it was a bi- I think he was a biology background, and I loved uh, I've loved what he said. Where he's he, he asked Jim, he's like, "Well, how, how does the how do the microbiome how does the microbiome fit into this? Like, are they are they part of the self?" Uh, and it was one of those like kind of record scratch moments where Jim was like, "Oh shit! Like, I didn't <sighs> think about that, <laughs> you know." And, and obviously, the the, the microbiome is. Uh, extremely integrated um, uh, with with the with our yeah. actual uh, genetic biology as well. Um, so so yeah, I, I mean you could attack it from from a uh, if if somebody's smart enough, you can pull that apart intellectually as well. Um, but at the end of the day, um, the other thing that you kind of you know in in meditation i think when you start really getting to un, unraveling your experience um we can c- kind of start to see that there are kind of two 
modes that we can probably crudely approximate to left brain, right, right brain, uh, 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 you know, ways of experiencing our, our reality. Uh, and when we see that the, the conceptual, intellectual, conscious brain is extremely, is just a coarse graining machine, uh, then we, we know that, you know, if a coarse graining, tiny coarse graining machine is, is being applied to, to, to observing the, the universe and trying to make some kind of ultimate claims, um, it can't make ultimate claims, right? Yeah. <laughs> like it's, it's yeah. always, it's always going to be coarse grained. It'll always be simplified. It'll always be a map. The territory will always be, be much bigger and nothing can be isolated. Um, yeah. I, I really love Jim's conversation with Bonita Roll. Well, talks about complexity science is, is um, inherently uh, kind of uh, coming from a foundation of, um, of reification and separation. Um, and so she prefers to use the process philosophy lens, which is more about relationship. Uh, and, and yeah, I think there's probably a place for, for complexity, uh, that highly systematic, uh, uh, you know, separating, uh, component, uh, approach. Uh, but if I think that the process philosophy has more to say about what, what's actually true, uh, and yet it probably has less, everyday applicable <laughs> I, I don't know maybe it does maybe it doesn't uh you know the truth is so much bigger that it's harder to instrumentalize into very specific um aims and 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 agendas i suppose yeah I, that's the first i've heard process philosophy hmm? sorry what's that that's the first uh time i've heard the term process philosophy mm-hmm you know, yeah, a yeah. Little summary there. I mean, I don't. I haven't studied any process process philosophy other than hearing Bonita talk about it from time to time. But yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, it's just it's talking about. Uh, it, it's kind of like yeah. You know, if we look at uh, from a physics perspective, um, you know, the 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 slat experiments where we, we where the blast the 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 freaking particles through the 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 things and they can be a wave or they can be a particle uh-huh. in our perspective. Yep. I would say like, uh, from my perspective, uh, complexity science is interested in the particle and, uh, relational uh, philosophy is interested in the wave. <clears throat> ah, very interesting. Very interesting. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. And, and as you can see, like the way that waves interact are, are so much more multidimensional. Uh, you know, that's why that, that, the, the, the pattern that they, they display is kind of way more analog and, and integrated and overlapped and, and you know, highly, you know, very hard to, to isolate and, and uh, individualize. Uh-huh. Well, that's really cool. And I, Benita's on my list of people I'd like to connect with here on the podcast. But I have missed all of your mimetic mediation Mimetic mediation, and I would love to hear what you're doing over there. What is mimetic mediation, and what are you guys doing there at the Stoa? Oh, um, broadly, you know, so so Peter Lindbergh wrote this article um, called like the Culture War Two Point mm-hmm. uh, uh, There's a uh, more to that title, I forget exactly, but you know, it kind of just outlines the the state of uh, the culture wars right now, predominantly the ones that live in the online space uh, as being kind of comprised of a ton of different, what he calls mimetic tribes, you know, people uh-huh. who use the spe- specific 
perspectives, ideologies, and and values and and memes uh, to comprise their own perspective on how the culture should move forward. Um, and one of the main problems is that uh, it's extremely fractured. Uh, unlike our kind of previous culture wars, which were usually very simplified, kind of left versus right, or mm-hmm. you know, maybe a couple more dimensions, but nothing too crazy. Uh, whereas now we have like all these different people, you know, they, each of them have a very unique perspective and come from a um, kind of a very specific location uh, and organize online and, and are able to kind of create their own bubbles. And, and, uh, and, and the problem being here is that the, the, the different mimetic tribes don't seem to work very well together. Mm-hmm. Um, they're all kind of, they, they, yeah, they see it as a war as rather than a dance, right? Yeah, uh, evangelical. The end game is to get more mimetic clones of yourself to have people see things just like you do. Yeah, yeah. And and so yeah, yeah. The the so maybe the and I think then Peter also in his he wrote an article about mimetic mediation where he called it, I think he was something about mediation or the hard problem of mimetic mediation is like how do we how do we mediate between these different groups so that they actually can collaborate and work mm-hmm. together <clears throat> instead of becoming more mm-hmm. fractured and more hostile and that uh, and, and that role of the mimetic mediator was something he coined in that original article uh, and actually you know. I resonated with it so much in the sense that I, I kind of fought, found, or I saw myself falling into that category a lot uh, because I could kind of span these, these different um, uh, perspectives uh, without having a ton of uh, dissonance and, and uncomfort. Um, and, and, I, and a friend of mine, Jason Schneider, who, who had, him and I had met on Twitter and had a lot of conversations and, and, uh, were always very interesting, and it was, it was extremely interesting because both of us came from completely different orientations. Like I grew up very secular um, and uh, super scientific, uh, with uh, uh, very little emphasis on education. I'm a college dropout, um, and and uh, a right, more right orientation from kind of the libertarian uh, trajectory. And uh, and then Jason came from the left. He grew up religious, and he uh, was was entrenched in, and continues to be in academia. Uh, so we had these radical different uh, beginnings, and yet we agreed with each other on so many things because we both kind of arrived at this weird meta space uh, where we could see all these tribes uh, kind of from an outside perspective. And and so we were like, let's start a podcast, and we'll start having conversations and with a bunch of different a bunch of different people from these tribes, uh, and see if we can do some mediation. And so, yeah, so we did that for, uh, it's been almost two years now, I think. Uh, we're actually going on hiatus just because I'm so busy uh, with, with some of my other projects. Um, but, and, and part of that also uh, speaks to my perspective on med- med- uh, mimetic mediation in the sense that I think it's, it's a tall order. It's really hard to do because it requires this mindset that we were talking about before of kind of detaching from our own personal ideology and being able to, you know, wholeheartedly and, and generously interact with different people from different reality tunnels. And, um, and yet I don't think that, I think mediation, the process of mediation happens in a million different ways uh, and sometimes unbeknownst to us. You know, I think the zealots probably un, uh, unwittingly do some mediation from time to time. Um, and, uh, and, and so, yeah, this is actually some we're working on right now. Uh, um, I'm 
talking a bit about on my my new little solo podcast, and I'm trying to figure out. I've been trying to figure out like how to articulate my broad perspective. Uh, and again, it goes back to the beginning of our conversation of, you know, if uh, I think that the goal of the medic mediator, especially in the, this time uh, of of ideological separate uh, mimetic tribes, or I like to call them islands, uh, bridge building is going to be required, and and the, the the bridge has to be. Uh, uh, has to be created over water. Uh, and then, and the way I see water, the role of water in this place is that uncertainty component. Right. Uh-huh. And so the mimetic mediators role from my perspective is get, get to people to come to the their of the ignorance from their ideological lands, uh, and start talking with people uh, on other islands and figuring out how to coordinate and build bridges together. Um, so yeah, I don't know. There, there's a broad <laughs> perspective of mediation. And, and while this is all happening, uh, Peter and uh, Jason and I also were hosting kind of weekly uh, mimetic, we call it uh, mediation campfires on the STOA, where we just invited a lot of people to start having conversations about this topic and trying to define it. Uh, and for the most part, it's been quite nebulous and a little hard to get a grasp on. And, and that's why I've been uh, trying to define it uh, from a bit of more of a broad perspective and want to continue to do that um, and specifically talk about how uh, like I said before, mediation happens in a lot of different places, uh, and it doesn't necessarily need to be done by mediators. Uh, and yet, um, it's, it's good to understand what mediation at, at, is at its core, uh, so that we can figure out how to orient, uh, all the, the zealots, the evangelists, the nomads, the, uh, the mediators, the bridge builders, you know, uh, all of the, the different people, uh, that are, that are, uh, make up the, the different tribes and, and uh, live on the different islands. Yeah, that's really interesting. And I like the picture that you're painting there. And I think that the mediator or the mediation is what's important, right? And I, when you said that sometimes the zealots do the mediating, what I heard was essentially people sometimes go so radically to one side that they make a fool of themselves. And then the people inside of the ideology are like, well, maybe we ought to rethink that. <laughs> I don't want to head. To, I'm not really here headed to that. I don't want to head to that camp. <laughs> and then, yeah, of course, other times there's people who can kind of bring some kind of compassion or a moment, at least a moment of uh, open-mindedness to mm. people who have otherwise identified themselves with the product of their cognition they have identified with their beliefs that their beliefs are themselves and so to defend their separate self is to defend their beliefs Mm -hmm. and i think that kind of gets at the heart of the problem and the scope of the problem the mimetic tribes are they are a way for people to manage their existential angst, their existential mortality, the fact that they could, you know, that they, they need to defend themselves against the scary thing that is the world, mm-hmm. that is life. And, yeah. by, and to do that, they cling on to their beliefs. And this is not something that I am wholly innocent of. This is my own intellectual evolution led me to pretty staunchly arrive at the non-aggression principle um, 
libertarianism in a way as mm. like the so obvious and unacknowledged solution to our governmental tyrannical woes that have just cyclically enslaved and homicidally extinguished so many millions of citizens in the last little blip here evolutionarily and so um yeah getting more comfortable with the uncertainty mm-hmm. is is a is a really important process and i'm not exactly sure how to do it i um just yesterday mm-hmm. had a conversation with my girlfriend and she says when i met you I said, oh, you seem really open-minded. And you told me, no, 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 I'm not (laughs) open-minded. And I thought that was so funny as a reflection because I don't really remember saying that, but I think I have a different definition of open-mindedness than most people. Mm. Um, And I think that typically what open-mindedness represents in our current discourse is that you will hear someone else's opinion just long enough that you can argue against it. You're like, you're just like strategically understanding it so that you can break it apart. That's (laughs) as far as you're, that's open-mindedness. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think it's a spectrum. Um, It's a sad state of open-mindedness though. Cause I think that a real open-mindedness is actually where your mind is not shackled to the things that your mind is open. It's free. It's more like free mindedness, not, not <laughs> open mindedness. Open mindedness is like open ears, but free mindedness is like your mind is not enslaved to a way, a certain way of thinking, a certain mimetic tribe in a way. Yeah. 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 Well, you know, I always like the, I like to use Socrates uh, as a, an exemplar of, of what a real open mind looks like, right? Like his, his famous quote, only thing I know for certain is that I know nothing. Uh, that's what a real open mind looks like. It, it, it's not certain about anything. <laughs> um, and and this, this also kind of points to, you know, I like to talk about wisdom a lot. Um, and wisdom I see as being the integration of a radically open mind yet a mind that has uh, retained and, and uh, uh, remembered a lot of different uh, knowledge or information. Um, and that is, it's really hard to be wise because the more information we gather, the more we are predispositioned to identify with it. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and so, so yeah, it's, it's, this is this, you know, you can have extremely intelligent people who have extremely closed minds. Uh, and that's a, a dangerous combination. Really um, dangerous. Especially in a culture where we say, listen to the experts, listen to the experts, listen to the experts. Yeah, yeah. Well, and that's why, you know, I think that, you know, one of the things uh, I've, my kind of intellectual journey, I I bounced around all over the place just because I've always been, you know, just kind of ravenously curious throughout my, uh, my life. Well, actually, not my adult life, I'd I'd say, um, for the most part. Um, but, uh, but yeah, it took me a long time to figure out like what characteristics should I look for in intellectuals, uh, to, you know, to kind of, uh, be a hallmark of, of whether or not they're, they're worth listening to. Uh, and you know, the, the thing more is, uh, you know, having 
domain-specific knowledge is extremely important. Uh, and if they can, they have a bunch of it on hand, that's great. Uh, but if they're, if I don't get an immediate sense of humility, radical humility, um, then that is a dangerous place to be um, because mm-hmm. it's probably going to be an ideolo- ideological, mm-hmm. uh, uh, you know, dead end. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if they're really, if they're smarter than me, uh, their mind can probably pull, you know, p- pull in more and more patterns beyond my capabilities so that I can't mm-hmm. see the end. I can't see out of that, that trap. I don't even mm-hmm. see the cul-de-sac. It feels like it goes on forever. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's a, yeah, that's really interesting on the podcast here. Verveke and I, uh, we we're talking about essentially black lives matter. And, um, he was warning that of course, cruelty, cruelty is awful. But, and uh, cruelty is awful and very dangerous, but a close second is self-righteousness. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I I don't know. I I would say it's even, it feels even more dangerous because cruelty is so obviously wrong Uh to everybody who sees it. Uh Whereas self-righteousness, like, it's hard to condemn it because we know it comes from a good intention. Uh Uh, And yet it can do the same type of capture uh, on our, on our minds, close our minds equally. yeah well this has been a really fun conversation i'm glad that we've got absolutely nowhere and just walked around in the unknowingness (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah it's those are my those are my waters uh yeah and you know this is this kind of speaks to you know like you said like what does it look like to to get people uh like how do we get people to the shore uh, of of their their ignorance And, and this whole metaphor comes from a actually a physicist uh, uh, quote where he, I think it was um, as the, the island of our knowledge grows, so does the shore of our ignorance. Right. Mm-hmm. And then I kind of extrapolated this. I was like, beyond the shore, there's the, the ocean of the unknown or the unknowable uh, and it's vast and it, it's much bigger than our little islands in, in many ways. Um, mm-hmm. And so, so yeah, it's like, you know, I think that the role of the mediator is to get people to go to the shore. I love uh, that. And, and have the opportunity to build bridges. Um, and if we encounter people who are, you know, <laughs> deep in ideology, they're, they're, they're the center of their island. They're maybe in a jungle that they can't see. You know, they, they don't even remember if there's a, a, a shore, you know, like, oh, well, I don't know if the, or- the ocean actually exists. You know, yeah. it's, a, it's a rumor. You know, I, I'm pretty sure that this is all there is. Um, and so the best way to get there is to find the most local uh, river or, or, or stream and, and lead it back to the source, right? Yeah. Find, find it, how it gets back there. Yeah. Uh, and so, yeah, usually my, my go-to strategy that seems to arise, I mean, I, you know, it's not very systematized uh, because, um, because it comes from a place of unknowingness, but, you know, it's like, how do we find the water? How do we find the uncertainty, the ambiguity, the unknown, the uncomfortable, the, the parts of our ideology that aren't quite solid. Uh, and usually those are, those are uh, lived in, in the water. Um, but if you try to guide people to the water uh, while in the middle of your island and not on the, the shore, <laughs> you're, you're, you're not going to do anything, right? Because you can only see it from your perspective, only can see it from your land. Uh, so you kind of have to remove yourself you know, to be a mediator, you have to be in the water uh, too. Uh, and the good thing about the water, to your point too, is we usually don't, you know, the, the uncertainty, the, those, those different elements of our experience, while they're uncomfortable, uh, the, 
positive thing about them is that we don't identify with them. <laughs> we actually mm -hmm. reject them. Um, but because the identity isn't there, uh, if you can get people comfortable enough to, 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 to go swimming, uh, you know, it can be the, the most direct path back to the, the shore. I love, I love this analogy. And I think it's, you know, people want to be on the beach. <laughs> There's yeah. coconuts. Yeah. There's palm trees, man. And what is what does the island look like when there's no moisture? It's a desert. And it sucks. Life does not grow there at all. It sucks. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah let's... And, and that's the weird part too is that you realize, you know, the more we realize that like the the moisture the, the of 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 the water uh, is what makes life possible. You know uh -huh. that that forest is built from that that moisture, mm -hmm. right? It's not they're not separate. Mm -hmm. um, and and yet we can kind of delude ourselves by, mm -hmm. by looking past the uncomfortableness of, of mm -hmm. the uncertainty yes. uh, into thinking that it's, oh no, this is actually quite solid and, and it all belongs to me uh, and I need to defend it. <laughs> and everybody yeah. else should come to this island and live here too. That's right. Uh, <laughs> yeah. The, right by the beach. Right by the beach, boy. The beach of uncertainty. Welcome to the beach <laughs> of ignorance, man. Almonds and coconuts. Straight from yeah. the island, now we live on the beach. <laughs> I love this. Yeah. This is great. This is great. Well, yeah. dude, thanks so much. I really appreciate this. I hope we can do it again. I would love to stop this recording and uh, have a couple of questions for you as far as nuts and bolts of podcasting and shit if you have time. Yeah, yeah, for sure. But yeah, thanks so much for coming on here. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me on. It was, it was, uh, it was a fun conversation and, and good to think out loud because I've been... Uh, yeah, this is all at the edge of my thinking right now um, of trying to articulate the, the things that like, were very obvious in my own experience, but I was just having a really hard time trying to figure out how to, how to translate that. And so, yeah, that's how this whole metaphor kind of arose. Okay, you guys, I hope you liked that. Thanks so much for coming on, Jared. If you guys like this show, consider donating to support it. That's paypal.me slash airy in the air if you want to see more of Jared's work, check out jaredjanes.com jaredjanes com. He's a great dude. Really appreciate it. Thanks for coming on, Jared. You guys stay happy, stay sane, stay safe. We'll see you on the next episode. Peace. Peace.